0: why do we have such a hang up about science that it is still separate, a kind of separate thing from all of other human culture? Um, Science is a human activity, uh, you know, and to be a scientist, you have to study and you have to understand how it works uh, like anything else in life. But but it should be there for everyone to enjoy as well and for everyone to understand, not just understand, but to appreciate as well. Uh, And so that's what I mean by science should be for everyone. Everyone should be allowed to talk about science. Everyone should be invited to the party, I suppose is what I mean. Sinus X minus 10,
1: and welcome to Preparing for Launch where we want to help you with your career in space through entertainment, education, advice and insight. Joining us today we have Dallas Campbell speaking about science communication, the power of storytelling and advice on how you can get involved in the space sector. So hi Dallas, thank you so much for coming along and being here today. Could you introduce yourself to all our listeners?
0: Hi I'm Dallas Campbell uh, and I am a What am I, gosh? Well, I'm a science television presenter um, and I've worked a lot for lots of different broadcasters over the years, for many years. I worked for the BBC for a long time on programs, science programs like Bango's Theory and Super Size Earth and City in the Sky and Britain Beneath Your Feet and programs like that. Uh, Also, I've worked for Nat Geo a lot. Uh, I'm currently doing a series for Nat Geo called Science of Stupid which pretty much does what it says on the tin. Um, I'm also very interested and have made lots of programs about the space sector, about space flight, particularly human space flight. And I've written a book about human space flight. Uh, So that's me.
1: The first thing that I want to ask about is something that you said that has really resonated with me. And that was that you aim to show that science is for everyone, not just scientists. Now, what does that really mean to you?
0: God, I've been saying that a lot. I've been saying that for years and years and years. I think the thing is, it seems to have this thing about science that, I mean, I, I tell you what it is, the question that I get asked the most, because I'm am a, I'm a non-scientist, I mean, I didn't study science, I'm not a scientist, but I, you know, I write about science and make programmes about science, is that people always <clears throat> assume that anyone who talks about science must be a scientist, which is a ridiculous thing, because it's a bit like saying that anyone who listens to music must be a musician. Or anyone who watches Netflix must be a TV producer. And I suppose my thing is why do we have such a hang up about science that it is still separate, a kind of separate thing from all of other human culture? Um, science is a human activity you know and to be a scientist you have to study and you have to understand how it works uh like anything else in life but but it should be there for everyone to enjoy as well and for everyone to understand not just understand but to appreciate as well uh and so that's what i mean by science should be for everyone everyone should be allowed to talk about science everyone should be invited to the party i suppose is what i mean a bit like anyone can listen to music without actually having to be a pianist yeah
1: I remember when I heard that quote I was so excited to hear it because I was like yes like someone agrees that people can talk about science and it can be in the news and you can read magazines and books about it when you're not actually a scientist
0: yeah it's just it's really funny I still get it a lot well not a lot but it's you know people people sort of come talk to me on sort of social media go aha Ah, you're not a scientist, are you? Like as if somehow I've I've sort of tricked them or as if somehow I'm pretending to be a scientist. I'm not a scientist. Um, And I'm also not a pianist, but I also like listening to... Beethoven, (laughs) you know, it's (laughs) it's a weird thing, and I've been sort of banging on about this thing for bloody years, and still people are like, "Oh, yeah, how come you? How come you? Science? Why do you like science? It's just such a weird thing." So that's what I mean. I mean, even the fact that we have terms like science communicator or science communication, I just think is ridiculous. I mean, no other area of life do we have, you know, do we have kind of art communicators or sort of novel communicators? I don't know why. We should just, It should just be a thing. We shouldn't have to label it. I think that's uh, thats my point.
1: That's so true. I guess in school right now, you would never say, oh, you're an English student. Oh, you can only be the one to read fiction. <coughs>
0: I know. It's, just, oh, it's f- insane. F- <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're not a, oh, you went to the theatre, you must be an actor. No. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, exactly. you know, if you want to be on the stage, you've got to train and you've got to understand what being an actor is about or being a director. I get that. And likewise with science, if you actually want to do the science, then you got to train, and you got to know what you're doing. And but for but for for us mere mortals to appreciate and to understand and be able to have, be part of the conversation, um, then um, then less so. I mean, I say that, but it's it, it's the, it's the sort of trying to get rid of the us and themness of science. I think that's my that's my point. There's too much us and them. It's like scientists and then everyone else. And it shouldn't be like that.
1: That's so true. It is really important to target everyone because it does affect everyone. And at one point in your life, having a basic knowledge of science is something you should just have.
0: Yeah. And I think actually, we don't really, we don't really, at schools, we don't really talk about what science is. We talk about, we we kind of drill into the detail too much too early on. And we don't, people don't really appreciate what science is. You know, science at, at, at its heart is uncertainty, is being uncertain. And that's, Something that I don't think people really appreciate. People think that science is a kind of book of knowledge. And of course, it's not that. Science is uh, is about uncertainty. It's about making, you know, making the best uh, assumptions based on the data that you have, which is constantly under review. And I think if people sort of understood that a bit more about what science is and what scientists do all day, then it would help. And, but we don't because people just get confused. They think it's all science or oh, they know all oh, these scientists think they know everything. It's like, no, we don't. Scientists don't. Scientists don't know anything. And everything scientists know at the moment will be wrong or subject to change later on when different data comes.
1: Exactly. Now, speaking of data and change. Scientific research is all about testing new hypotheses, data, and ongoing theories. And with that word theory, I remember always being confused on why things like the theory of gravity and the Big Bang were always caused that, because obviously they're proved. And I remember I asked that once in class, and my teacher explained that everything in science is a theory, it's just an ongoing development, and these quote-unquote theories are proved. But the more we learn about them, and more data we accumulate, the more we add to this theory and kind of evidence for Big Bang theories. So big Bang theory is proved and the theory of gravity is proved, but the more we learn about our universe, the more evidence we have.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point actually. Well the word theory is one of those one of those words that everyone gets very confused about because when scientists, when you guys say the word theory, you mean something completely different to when the general populace say the word theory when that, you know when i say ah i've got a theory about that what i actually mean is i've got some half baked idea but of course a scientist a theory is the best thing going a theory you know einstein's theory of of gravity or newton's theory of gravity is something that's demonstrable it's 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 it's, it's the description of a physical event or a physical law of nature. It doesn't mean the same thing as the as when you are, or, you know, Joe blogs in the pub says, oh, I've got a theory about that. So when non-scientists hear the word theory, they think it, they, they assume it means that scientists don't know what they're talking about. And it's exactly the opposite of that. So it's a, it's a kind That's of pro- linguistic problem.
1: I think it's another reason um, why the whole population should be educated on science, like I said before, not just for scientists, because if everyone knew that, then they would accept these theories more.
0: Yeah. It's like it's like Darwin, you know, you know, creationists and people who believe in things like intelligent design go, aha, yes, Darwin's theory of evolution. It was only a theory. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of of the scientific usage of the word theory. Darwin's theory of evolution is the same as Newton's theory of gravity. Gravity actually exists. It's a real thing. Uh, And evolution is a real thing just as much as gravity is. And the theory is the thing that describes it. It doesn't mean it's just an idea that may or may not exist or not.
1: Exactly. What inspired you to first start getting interested and involved in science?
0: Um, It's really funny because I was terrible at science at school. I I had no interest in science as a subject at school, Uh, and partly because... I just didn't get it it it, I, it didn't get it and I think it's because when I was at school we were we were too busy you know drilling down into the detail and actually I think the really important thing at school when you're young particularly well certainly when you get when you become a sort of teenager is you need to step back from the canvas a bit and and see the wonder of science and actually see the poetry of science and then you can go oh now I get it and then you can kind of drill down you know a, li- a little bit deeper and I never really had that at school at school, I mean, when I was very young, like all kids, you know when we 're little we 're all natural born scientists, you know we play with lego, we make paper airplanes, and you know we poke tadpoles in the pond, and all those things we're naturally curious about the world around us. but you know as I got older i you know wasn 't really didn't really sort of get into science as the subject of school. I was much more involved in the arts, and it wasn 't until i don 't know probably my early to mid twenties um there was a couple of things actually. The first thing was I I chanced upon a, a VHS copy, and it was Richard Dawkins' uh, uh, Christmas lecture. I think it was from, probably I think it was 1991 or 1992, and I remember watching that Christmas lecture and thinking, my God, it, for the first time, biology made sense, or, and biology was interesting and biology was exciting because he was so, he was he's such a good explainer and just and, and tells the story of Natural selection and evolution, so well. It was absolutely mind blowing. And that was a real sort of seminal moment in my life. That was one thing. Second thing was I used to work with a theatre director, a guy called Ken Campbell. Uh, and Ken did a really nice uh, series for Channel 4 around about the same kind of time as that. And it was called Reality on the Rocks. And it was basically Ken, who, like me, came from a, an acting background who wanted and had no scientific knowledge, but wanted to understand the secrets of of the universe and went to meet Stephen Hawking and went to CERN and did all these amazing things. And it suddenly occurred to me, and I helped him do this program and I was working with Ken at that time. It suddenly occurred to me that actually, you can talk about science without being a scientist. You can make a science program coming from the layman, not really understanding stuff, finding things out, rather than being a, a professor telling the audience stuff and actually working with ken doing programs like that was a real kind of eye-opener for me and 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 that was you know a couple of things that really set me on my course doing what i do now and sort of books that i read as well i mean there was uh carl sagan's book demon haunted world was a, 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 a book that can completely change the way I saw the world and and thought about science. Uh, The Ascent of Man, Jacob Bronowski's BBC series, which I watched, which absolutely fundamentally changed the way I thought about things. So it's a combination of books, of uh, people that I met, people I worked with, and television. Is there a
1: best way to communicate science through media? How do you excite people about science on TV? I feel like there's
0: an art to doing this. Well, it depends what you want to do. I mean, here we are right in the middle of a pandemic. So science communication has a specific function, which is to inform the public about what's going on. And a lot of that involves having the ability to be able to get over this idea of uncertainty. The thing is, you know, it, it, politicians, for example, don't like uncertainty. They want they want certainty when they talk to the public. And, and, and science, is, you know, is all about error bars and actually being honest about that and being honest about how how science actually works and how the numbers actually work and how uncertainty and, and and statistics and risk actually works, being able to do that clearly. That's one form of science communication. But the other thing as well is as I mentioned like science is poetry. Science is wonder. The natural world is a wonderful thing. You know, when we watch a David Attenborough documentary, we are full of the wonder of science. And that comes down to good storytelling. Uh, This is less about the actual science in a way. If we talk about sort of science communication, this is as much about the communication, how to structure story, understanding how stories work. Human beings are story animals. We've evolved to tell stories. We've evolved to absorb stories. We understand innate uh, story structure. But for me personally, you know, I'm the type of person who is much more on the sort of story side of things, if you like, rather than. You know, I'm not a science journalist in, in that sense, uh, in the in the sense of trying to uh, tell the public information about a pandemic or whatever it might be.
1: So do you think that's why it's really important for audiences to see a diverse range of scientific, not communicators, but <laughs> presenters? Yeah. Um, how can this be achieved? How can... People have a wide range of scientific communicators. Centers, well, I,
0: yeah, well sorry. I think I think I think a diversity in, in science present or we'll use the word science communicators for the sake of it, I hate it. <laughs> sorry but I wrote down on my notes. <laughs> no, it's good. But I think you know diversity is really, really important because if you only see a type of person talking about science or presenting science, then and that's not you, then of course you're going to see it as only as other. So I think diversity in terms not in terms of all types of diversity, gender and class. Particularly, you know, the, you know the trouble is science because to be a scientist you have to go to university and study, and that you know it generally attracts a more sort of upper middle class type of person who can afford to do that and has that kind of background. So I think all these different areas of diversity it's really important for people to be able to feel they can talk about science. Because it's that it's that old adage, you know, you need to be able to see it to be it.
1: Exactly. How does talking about space differ from the rest of science? Because I think everyone loves talking about space, but not everyone loves talking about physics as
0: much as like I do. Well, I think well, there's sort of natural reasons why it's nice talking about space because it's so a space is really visual. So we can make we can make programs about it because it's pretty and there's planets and stars and da, 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 da. also there's the, the idea of space is such a, a, an easy idea for people to comprehend. The fact that we are this tiny island, this tiny moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam in this great vast ocean of otherness. That's an easy and, and you know, dramatic uh, storyline to, to begin with. So space generally uh, is always going to be very, very popular. And of course, in space, we can visit other planets and we can talk about other galaxies and solar systems and we can talk about huge numbers. So space is always going to be popular. And also, us as humans, we we have a natural uh, desire to explore. And because we've explored space already, we can tell those stories. And that's all re- really exciting. It's just interesting because things like... You know, the quantum realm, the quantum world is really interesting. I think people like the story of just the weirdness of quantum mechanics and, and, and quantum physics. But then we also like the, the big scale stuff as well of general relativity and Einstein. We like all that. Uh, and I think actually, particularly the 20th century, you know, 20th century physics was such a. There were such such amazing characters, and amazing work was done there. It, it, it just lends itself to good storytelling. I always put sort of physics and space together in my mind, but I don't think um, I think you know I, I, I I'm I'm comfortable. Like I had a program that was on BBC Four last night called Britain Beneath Your Feet, which was a kind of a geography program looking at how the underground world affects the world on our surface, and it was geography. But I and I'm I'm as comfortable talking about that as I am talking about space because ultimately it comes down to good storytelling, interesting storytelling. If something's interesting, I don't mind whether it's about uh, particle physics, space, geology, or climate. A good story is a good story, and it's sh- a good story resonates or should resonate with, with people.
1: That's a good point to make to um, younger listeners, that even if you're not doing the best in, compared to other people in your science exams at GCSE or A-level, it doesn't determine your future of science. Like you can still enter the science no. industry, read about science, learn about it. It's people say, to you,
0: oh, you're, people will say, oh, well, you're not qualified to talk about science. Well, actually, I'm kind of more qualified. I mean, I studied English and drama at university, which is all about storytelling. And in fact, you know, it's all and I work in television. You know, that's that's the medium that I work in. And also, you know, the stuff that I write is story. You know, it's beginnings, middles, and ends. It's um, inciting incidents. It's uh, it's structure. And I, it's a really important it's a really important thing, you know, to learn. If you want to be a scientist, though, you have to. There's no getting away from the hard work of if you actually want to be a scientist. It's a bit like being a musician, as we said before. You know, if you want to be a musician, you've got to learn how to master your instrument, and you've got to learn music notation these are all things that i don't need to know if i want to listen to the music and understand it or even talk about the music but if you want to be a musician then you have to learn those things it's likewise with science but it's yeah you're absolutely right you don't have to you can be involved in the world of science without being a scientist yeah
1: so i did biology physics and english for a level and yeah. everyone asked me why did you do english like, that was such well, a random choice why, such a waste of your time and i'm like but uh... why
0: did, I, I bloody hate it when people say stuff like that it's a ridiculous it's such an Ask questions you know it's like what of course you should have studied english <laughs> it's exactly like, are we, are i know we only, are we only meant to be churning out people who oh, okay you're you must be why are we so obsessed by having people in little boxes it's like right okay you've got to do science and you know we're humans we like to we like it all exactly yeah well exactly well yeah, and, and and there is great beauty in art in science as well you know we have a whole I, 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 a couple of years ago, I wrote a book about sort of history of spaceflight, and basically that book is kind of an extended poem, really. And the most thing, the thing that most excited me about the book was the kind of visual aspects, finding all the art and the photography. Excuse me, finding all the art and the photography and everything else. I, I, that's the stuff that really excites me. Um, the other great influence of, of uh, in my life I had someone you'll probably know is Werner Herzog, the German filmmaker hertzog someone who is absolutely obsessed by science and it permeates everything he does this this constant exploration of the natural world and he makes documentaries but again he he's kind of stands on that border between the between the sort of fact and rea fact, you know fact and fiction and it's a really interesting kind of place to to tread that line there's great beauty there where kind of fact turns into fantasy and fantasy becomes reality and poetry becomes art it's an it's a he's he's another great um influence of mine who i like who i like to kind of steal from constantly and borrow ideas from
1: yeah it's really fantastic um speaking of your book if you i i of course i've read it when it came out Cause I'm obsessed with human spaceflight, the Apollo missions and everything after that got me into physics and space and everything. That's just yeah. my obsession. And so if you were to pick one story of human spaceflight, they wrote about in your book or not in it, which would you consider to be the best and why?
0: Oh god, it's really I, all of it. <laughs> this, like I've got a big, I've got a big bookshelf full of you know, full of books on space flight. And actually I was down at the British Interplanetary Society. They've got a library down there, which if you haven't been to, you must go, go and knock on the door. It's in Vauxhall. It's near where you live. Go and knock on the door. uh, And and say, can I go into your library? They've got the most extraordinary library of space books, like massive. And I had this idea of, because it's all beautiful and all fascinating ideas and stories and history and everything else. Um, My, my, my sort of goal was to put that entire library into one volume, which is what I tried to do with, um, my book at astra um, if I had one story i don't know because it, it depends ha ah, it's really difficult it's really difficult i um a couple of years ago i i did a I worked on a project with a brilliant brilliant director called chris riley we We did the history of the spacesuit for uh, for a TV show, and actually the that story is one that's always fascinated me that how uh, those Apollo suits were engineered and made and crafted, and the history behind them and the story of the spacesuit is one that I absolutely love. It's a really, really fascinating story. So that's one. That's one that I sort of carry around with me a lot. Um, but the history as well, from Tsiolkovsky to von Braun and the, you know German rocketry and uh, after the Second World War, carrying over to America and Russia, uh, yeah, all of all of. All of that I love. I love the fact that when when we talk about space history, it encapsulates all of human culture and art and politics and science and religion and all and the iconography that goes with all that. It's is something that's really, really fascinating and rich for me. I I, I love it all. I remember I went to um, I've been to the Baikonur Cosmodrome a couple of times for. Uh, to watch Soyuz launches. I I remember 2015, I think it was, I was there for Tim Peake's launch. And all the press kind of gather around the Soyuz rocket when it's on the launch pad. And it's interesting, that launch pad, um, because it's exactly the same launch pad that Yuri Gagarin left from, Sputnik was launched from, Laika the dog was launched from, Helen Sharman was launched from. It's It's this sort of point, geographical point, that the entire sort of history of human spaceflight, not just human spaceflight, spaceflight generally began from. So he has that wonderful historical resonance. And just before the launch, they have a Russian Orthodox priest who conducts this uh, service in the actual flame trench of the the sort of rocket itself and then comes up and blesses everyone with holy water. And it was such an amazing moment thinking, gosh, here we are about to send some people into space. And yet this tradition uh, and this guy, this big bearded priest in these priestly robes comes and does this thing. And here we are trying to sort of reach for the heavens ourselves. And it was that beautiful mix of human ideas and, and traditions and superstitions and, um, that really kind of I, I see those patterns all the way when I look at stories of human spaceflight. And I like finding those little stories and those, those ideas and, and, and themes
1: it's fantastic. I, I agree. I just love hearing astronauts' stories. I feel like every astronaut story that I've read has been completely different. I just, yeah. I went through a phase of reading as many biographies as I could, and every single one had a different perspective on it, different opinions about just why they wanted to go into space, their experiences, their mental health throughout space, um, life after returning, and just different backgrounds, different paths into it. And I feel like astro- the, the career of astronauts is. The, Every single person has a unique story, a unique pathway into it, which is been amazing.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I've been lucky. I've met some of the Apollo astronauts. Very sad and uh, lovely Al Warden, who was the uh, command module pilot for Apollo 15, became a very dear friend of the last few years. And he sadly passed away last week. And it's a great tug on my heartstrings. He was the most delightful, witty, funny, charming hilarious never took himself seriously you know if you ever want to if you ever want to understand how to do that dreaded word science communication go and go and look at something like Al <laughs> warden uh do it with humility do it with a smile in your face do it with love in your heart he was a great uh he was one of, he was one of the greats yeah i love i love talking to astronauts as well i'm like you there's something quite special about them they're all as you say, all from different backgrounds and different stories. But they all have that kind of common thread, I think. Uh, I've never met an astronaut who I haven't liked. They've all got that sort of spark, that kind of glint in their eye, that sense of humour, that sense of adventure, which I think, you know, you have to have have if you want to be an astronaut. You can't have a sense of adventure without having a sense of humour at the same time.
1: For me, I've never really thought about why I love spaceflight and astronomy so much I think if anyone ever asked me that I just I couldn't explain it it's just the most fascinating interesting concept since I was I can't remember I can't remember not it's been something that I've loved since I was four I can't remember not loving it it's just been my whole kind of life and interest forever there is a reason I don't know it's
0: like when when we're kids we just we love it there's something we just understand and again it's a bit like. You know the priest that I mentioned wearing the special robes, and in in a way, an astronaut has the same kind of thing. The astronaut wears special clothes and ascends to the heavens to become, you know, closer to the infinite. There is something just incredibly deep and profound about that. And as kids, we recognise that. As kids, we see pictures of astronauts floating in the blackness of space, and it doesn't need any explanation. We, as children, we 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 are sucked into that. We understand what that means. and so I think, you know, we're lucky in that we still, we never kind of let that go, if you like. We're still, we're still yeah. sort of, we're still fascinated by that. I I, my, I have a, a friend, Ryan Nagata, who's an artist who makes props and things for movies, and he makes spacesuits. He did the spacesuits for um, uh, First Man, and he makes hyper-realistic uh, spacesuits. I have one of his Apollo spacesuits, an exact replica of Neil Armstrong's spacesuit. And it's my favourite thing, because it's... By kind of putting that on, you kind of take on that mantle, if you like. It's a kind of thrilling thing to have. It's such an iconic image, that the, the spacesuit, as this kind of portal to this wonderful realm of adventure and poetry and wonder.
1: Oh, it was my Halloween costume for about five years. Of course. Every year. <laughs> yeah, everyone should course. have well a, Everyone it. should have
0: a spacesuit. Yeah, yeah, I will lend you my spacesuit exactly. and borrow it and, and uh, walk around in it. It's pretty cool.
1: So, of spaceflight... What do you think the future of a space flight would be 10 years from now? Do you think it'd be a lunar exploration or Mars or anything else, like space elevators, you even? Knows. What do you think? I go you know, whatever,
0: whatever I tell you, it'll be wrong because no one knows anything. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's like, uh, I mean, we've got the, the James Webb telescope, which will open new frontiers, hopefully, and, and it'll be amazing, and we'll be able to do spectral analysis of. Exoplanet atmospheres, and you know, we'll be able to see if maybe life—you know, life exists on other planets. That that would be amazing. That will happen, but it keeps getting delayed. I noticed today it's been delayed again, because of the um, COVID nineteen. Artemis, you know, Mr. Trump. You may have heard of him. He <laughs> has said, "Oh, we're going to go back to the moon by 2024." <sighs> I can't see it somehow. I can't see it happening that maybe uh, Hopefully I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it'll happen. But I think this pandemic is really putting a, a bit of a kibosh on lots of the immediacy of lots of projects. But certainly, I think in the next decade, we will be going back to the moon and we'll see the first woman on the moon and the next man on the moon, which will be great. So a, a lunar outpost of some description would be fantastic. I think the James Webb telescope, when it, when it's up there and running, will be amazing i think that's going to be we'll do a bit like when hubble went up in the 1990s suddenly this kind of window was opened or the kind of glass was polished and we could see these incredible images you know the hubble ultra deep field image was such a fantastic image that you know changed people's lives and changed the way we see the universe and hopefully the james webb telescope will do the same i think that'll be really amazing um Who knows? We've got another Mars rover, which has also been delayed, but a Mars rover with a biology package on, which is going to be drilling deep into the Martian surface to look for possible uh, evidence of past life. That would be incredible. I think that's the big question. I think hopefully, I mean, I'm an old fart, but hopefully before I die, my 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 big dream would be evidence of life either present or past somewhere else in our universe that's what I that's my hope it's a very human thing isn't it to be able to 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 want to know what else is out there not just what else but who else is out there what other life uh, might be out there it's a very it's a a constant drive and a constant thing for science to be able to answer that question
1: yeah that's very true how does it feel to just know that you've influenced and kind of inspired so many students (laughs) into science
0: honestly well, I, I remember I I, I I i can't well it's you flatter me <laughs> by even asking <laughs> that question because i do, it's funny no, it's because brutal. i i have i have my science heroes you know james burke and uh jane goodall and and you know when i was kind of interested in this when i was when i was much younger johnny ball when I, you know people on television i used to watch so i but i can't I don't think of myself. I I, I, I don't mean this to sound sort of pompous or big headed. I I genuinely don't. I can't. I can't imagine being in in the same kind of world as those people. So I don't know. But I I tell you, the, the nicest thing that ever happens is when occasionally on Twitter or wherever people say, you know, my son, my daughter used to watch you on Bango's Theory. And they were inspired and now they did their. they've just got an a in their physics a level or they've gone to university like when i hear that uh and it's not just me i mean there's a whole team of people who made things like bango's the theory i'm just a tiny tiny little you know little sprinkle on the top of the cake but to have been part of a team that has that has helped people in terms of uh giving them direction in their life whether it's science or whatever is the most humbling and the most extraordinary and the most perfect satisfying feeling ever. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good.
1: Amazing. Of course, a career in spaceflight or any STEM career is daunting. Do you have any advice for students who want to work in this industry?
0: Uh, yeah, just, d- just do what you love. Um, do, do, do what you love to do. Um, and then, if you do what you love and you're good at it, then you'll never do a day's work in your life. I think that's 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 yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of it. I mean, it's funny actually. I mean, I came, I I, st- I kind of came quite late into what I was doing, what I'm doing now, I suppose. I mean, I I left university and I wanted to be an actor, uh, and I realised after spending quite a lot of time that even though I loved being an actor, I probably wasn't as good as it at it as I as I, I could have been, and it was actually only. Slightly by chance, chance encounters with people, chance finding a video of Richard Dawkins that I mentioned before, that suddenly the penny dropped. And I go, oh, that's what I should be doing. I know what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So those those kind of moments, you know, come along rarely. But when they do, grab them. Whenever an opportunity comes along, whatever it is, grab it. It's much easier. Just always say yes. That's my advice. Never say no. Always say yes. Even if you don't want to, even if it's terrifying. Say yes. You'll worry good about the advice? consequences later. Okay. Is that good advice? It might be terrible. <laughs> advice. I'm, t- I'm really bad at giving people <laughs> no. advice. So.
1: That's a very good point, actually. Especially like, in university, all these opportunities mm-hmm. are coming. God just like take them.
0: Yeah, take them. And um, actually, my best bit of advice ever was, is uh, Herzog always said it. He always said, you know, ask for forgiveness, not for permission. That was his bit of advice, which I always like. It's it's really easy just to go, oh, I shouldn't do this, or just do it, and you know, and you know, if something something happens, then say sorry. I love <laughs> that. I, I, I love that. I think that's a good bit of advice. But yeah, just you know, when opportunities present themselves, which they inevitably will, always always take them.
1: Okay, that's I'm it. taking that advice tomorrow. Take that sorry, advice.
0: Tomorrow. Yeah, well, start today. Yeah start today my other bit of advice as well is you know it's people who go into you know doing stem careers and that's which is great don't forget other things don't forget to listen to music don't forget to read uh novels don't forget to go to the theater don't forget to be excited by other things in life i think that's really really important you know if we want to be if we want to do science for everyone and make everyone feel part of it let's let's you know, let's let's be interested. In, let's be people who are interested in the world and everything that that is not just science. I always, you know, tell young people it's like, you know, yes, go be a scientist. That's great, but also don't forget to um, read War and Peace. Yeah, a well-rounded kind of education yeah, in life. Yeah, I think so. I think that I'm a big fan of well-rounded education. I think it's really, really important.
1: Yeah, it's it's a good point. You have to kind of find this part of science that you love. Because I feel like everyone has that one, if you're doing a science degree, you have that one part that just makes you so happy and excited. Yeah. And that's kind of, yeah. so for me, it's space flight. Um, yeah. And yeah, the kind of the history of missions and, you know, the old, the command modules and service modules, all that kind of stuff, my favorite thing. And yeah. I think, yeah, everyone has their one, and I found that when I was like 10, just Googling it and my parents' computer, like Googling the Apollo missions
0: yeah. and stuff
1: like that. I think everyone kind of finds their niche in their science degree.
0: There is something beautiful about Apollo. There's something so special about Apollo, particularly (laughs) because it came, you know, it was such as it came at such a specific time, you know, historically, it was a time of great sort of turbulence, particularly in America. You had Vietnam rolling on at the time. So you had a kind of, uh, you know, this terrible conflict going on in Southeast Asia, you know, you had the cold war going on and this kind of, moment where everything came together and the technology suddenly came together and you know we actually sent people to the moon for a a very short amount of time just for a period of a few years this kind of white heat and then it all ended there's something fascinating about that story and the people involved how it happened why it ended the things that we did there I, i i agree with you i just think it's the most compelling brilliant story
1: that's fantastic. I'm just smiling thinking about it. It's amazing how like one piece of history can just change your life in a way and just get you so interested into the subject. And then it kind of was a cycle. I was into the Apollo missions and the astronomy. And then I was into physics in school. And then because of spaceflight and astronomy, and it kind of all just circles around, and it's amazing yeah. how science is, again, it, it transcends just one medium. That's history, not science at all. Well, it is science, but it's historical yeah, Well, aspect. it's everything. It's
0: history, it's politics. Everyone should read that, The you know, the Kennedy's 1962 uh, Rice University speech, you know, the we choose to go to the moon <laughs> in this decade. That speech is so amazing. I don't just mean that that, that line, but the entire speech everyone should read it it is so fascinating so brilliant and, and encapsulates that story so well you know here's what we're going to do we're going to go to a uh, an unknown planet a planet that we haven't even explored even in a preliminary way <laughs> on, on a rocket using materials that have not yet been built uh you know and we're going to send a man there and we're going to return him at speeds of twenty five thousand miles an hour it's just unbelievable are we going to do it and we're going to do it right, and we're going to do it by the end of the decade. I love all that. It's kind of you know stirring stuff, and it's amazing and brilliant, and and you know, and also terrifying as well. You know what was going on in the world. You had huge civil rights problems at the time, uh, and and all that going on in America at the time. It's just a really interesting bit of history, and it's um, uh, everyone should everyone should sort of spend some time, I think, delving into that into that
1: could not agree more yeah. you've said before of course the best. you said before that everyone will have their own reason to leave the planet
0: what would be your yeah. reason what would be my reason to leave the planet yeah. i think that to get a better sense of perspective
1: um yeah
0: yeah i think that would be it I, I often kind of imagine i sort of at night i imagine sort of closing eyes and i imagine standing on the surface of the moon looking back and i think that that sense of i've sort of said it a few times now of stepping back from the canvas to really get an appreciation of what's going on is the most important thing and actually that's having the having the earth in view from the moon i think would be that's what that's what i'd like to do just to see the earth as a ball in space from the surface of the moon Robert Goddard, the American rocket engineer, used to have dreams about that as well. He used to dream he was standing on the surface of the moon looking back at the Earth. And I think there is something really profound about that, um, being, able to see the, being able to see your home, but from, from that sort of distance. You know, the Apollo, it was with Alan Bean, I think, one of the Apollo astronauts, talked about sort of holding your thumb up and blocking out the Earth and blocking out everyone who ever lived there. You know that's and great you know good writers are able you don't even have to leave the planet to be able to do that good writers you know uh, carl sagan's famous pale blue dot speech for example you know when he talks about uh, you know that pixel that motive you know that blue marble that motive, you know suspended in the sunbeam i can't remember how it goes you know good poetry good writing can can do that it can take you off into into wonderful places and that's why good good science writing uh is so valuable because it does that it takes you it takes you away well good anything good any kind of art does that takes you out of yourself and off the planet very often
1: what do you think the biggest hindrance to the development of the space sector is right now
0: well i think it's the biggest hindrance is probably short political cycles and short political thinking um you know you have a four-year american political cycles and you know presidents come in and promise the earth and lots of money and then and then you know then their four or eight-year cycle ends and then another president comes in and wants to do something different so unfortunately big science projects like spaceflight is at the mercy of you know political cycles um and money and so that's that's always the problem and sort of politics isn't very good at thinking beyond those sorts of years Uh, and so when you've got projects like things like you know james webb which is a you know a multi-decade project you know things get forgotten and, and um priorities change you know going back to the moon was Trump's priority number one last year? But of course, it's not anymore. <laughs> you know, there are, yeah. he's got some sort of other problems, and they a bit like Apollo. Apollo is a great example of that. Apollo, it's like we have to beat the Russians to the moon. This is a matter of national importance. Uh, we want to show our technological and scientific uh, dominance uh, over the Soviet Union, and we did that. But then there was no, there's no, there was no kind of priority. There was no kind of reason to carry once that had been done. It slowly faded away just simply because apollo was so expensive so it always comes down to money and politics i think those are the those are the sorts of hindrance and and you know geopolitical considerations um you know conflicts with other countries who we might have been doing having big projects with might suddenly suddenly change and you know being human politics is really really messy and unfortunately big science involves big politics because it involves big money and and international cooperation so that's always going to be the the kind of i think the, the, the sticking point things like brexit it's like well there you go well you know we've got all these kind of international partners and tentacles all together and suddenly pulling those away creates all kinds of unknowns so i would say i would say politics is probably the uh, the, the, the the biggest um problem
1: couldn't agree more on that kind of you said that Ron Jones flowchart is where the title of it oh, yeah. comes from. Where do you think would be the hardest step in that flowchart to achieve? And do you think we're anywhere near close to being on track?
0: For <laughs> I, can't remember, I can't remember that. Oh yeah, Ronald Jones. I love this flowchart. It's such a great. Everyone should. Everyone should print out. Well, everyone should print it out. Well, it's funny when you look down the years how how we're not anywhere near any of these any of these things because when you'll have to explain somehow how, what the the ron jones flow chart is basically going sort of decade by decade what we would need to do to become a, an, a multi-planetary species all the kind of science and technology we need to overcome uh what what was your question what was the thing we we need to do the most Was um
1: it- yeah so what do you think that as a species right now we need to do that's most important to get to Oh Jesus! (laughs) This is a big question.
0: Sorry. It's a big question. Well, I suppose I don't know. I mean, I suppose this is why sort of Elon Musk is sort of is sort of quite good at all the thinking about this kind of stuff. He's talking about you know big star rockets and great spaceships taking us to Mars. I suppose propulsion is probably a big one. You know, space is big. You know, so getting around it takes a long time, and so that's going to be a big problem. Um, oh man, there's so many. I don't even know where to start. I mean, we've got to fix our own planet. We've got to. We've got to. In a way, we have to sort out how we manage our affairs down here. I suppose. Um, I'm, I'm having a look at the. Uh, God, I'm looking at the Ron Jones flowchart now. Initiate Martian terraforming operations. <laughs> We're not anywhere near that. Jesus. Where are we? 2020. 2020. I can't, oh, I've, I've got a whole bit missed out. So by 2033, Ron Jones reckoned would be, yeah, would be Venus exploration by now. No, no, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Initiate
0: Earth, Moon. What is this? Oh, I can't even read. I haven't got my glasses on. But yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's a great, it's a great chart to look at, to look at, to sort of understand where we should be going, where. And also, he, you know, he wrote that chart in the 1980s. So the world is completely changed by then. And you know, since then, I mean, um, politically, so it doesn't. It, you know, it's it's very much a kind of relic that uh, that that chart.
1: For the budding science journalists, what do you think are the biggest difficulties in the industry at the moment, and do you have any advice on how to face them?
0: Well, it depends. On what, you, what, you, in terms of what advice in which sort of area? I mean, obviously, it's um, finding your own voice. I think the most important thing for any there's that word science communicator, is finding your own voice very often it's you see science you know people who are doing impressions of science what they think science communication is and actually just find just being yourself and finding your own because no one can be you better than you can be you so don't try and be anyone else you know i mean i we all we all have people that we look up to and i'm like oh james burke and you know carl sagan but i'm not trying to be them so finding your own voice is a thing and, and don't be derivative don't copy other people don't you know borrow and be inspired by and nod to but just find your shtick and whatever it is do that
1: um what do you think the best ways to get involved with it
0: in university are if or those students have a full-time
1: job yeah university
0: there's so many many more opportunities you know you know when i first started we you know the internet didn't really exist there was no social media, so now there's you know you've got in a way it's 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 harder because there's so much stuff out there. That, you know you can do podcasts, you can do you know live YouTube broadcast. You know there's no reason why you can't do it, um, which puts you under more pressure to <laughs> you've got to do it now. You've got to actually sort of <laughs> deliver. Great. You know when I first started there was kind of television and radio and print. You know, uh, the media was owned but had gatekeepers. Now, of course, there aren't any gatekeepers because you can do your own podcast or vlog or, you know, uh, you know periscope. Whatever it might be, you can just do it. The thing is, is to find out what you like doing. You know, if you like writing, if that's your thing, if you like writing and you can find you can express yourself best writing, do that. Uh, if, you, if you're a show-off and like being on telly and prancing about in front of a camera, you know, do that if you're kind of more spontaneous and you like to you know do lots of, sort of actuality and the in, and you know whatever it is and youtube and the internet is your thing then, then do that if you'd like more crafted documentaries you know go work for go go and work for the bbc science unit um you know it's, it's, you ha- you have to find what it is that you like to do and that's not often an, an easy thing you know it might take a bit of time you might start go down one avenue and go actually you know what There's something not quite right here. Maybe I'll try this. Maybe try lots of different things. Um, But there's so many different opportunities now. And I I mean, I work on a on a program called Fame Lab with the British Council and the Cheltenham uh, Science Festival, where we run a competition for uh, sort of early career uh, scientists to you know just just stand in front of an audience and talk about their science. And it's a great competition. There's loads of things like that: science in the pub, painter science, all these different things that uh, didn't exist really when i was uh, when i when i sort of started out so find your thing whatever it is you like to do and do that
1: i guess it kind of goes back to your advice earlier about just do it like just say yes
0: to it and just kind of go for it do it anyway it's okay you know it's okay to be bad i think that's that's a really important thing i think you know you only you only get good if you know what being bad is like it's you know, it's that—that's a really important thing. You know, write something and it'll—and it'll be terrible. It should be terrible, you know. And learn how to make it better, or or do a piece to camera, and it'll be terrible. But you know, you, you know, you, you get better and you learn.
1: That's a very—I guess—that's a really good point for like people that are nervous to kind of go into journalism or media or something like that. That you can mess up and you can be bad and you yeah, make mistakes. Don't worry and about and kind yeah.
0: of yeah, don't worry about being bad, and don't be worry about getting wrong, being wrong. You know, it's it's that's that's kind of that's kind of part of it.
1: I think that is it for today. Thank you so much, Dallas, for joining us. That was really amazing insight on storytelling, the space sector, science, just everything to do with science communication. And on next episode, we have Harriet Bredel, the head of business analytics at Astroscale and the co-chair of the Space Generation Advisory Council. Let us know if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or feedback. And I'll see you in two weeks' time at Thursday at 5. In,
0: uh, Base here. The Eagle has landed.